title of our sermon uh, this morning is called He's a Good Father. And um, just being able to witness to a lot of uh, co-workers uh, at my new job, being able to set a precedence of Christianity, and that's everywhere I go, I have the opportunity to be able to speak to a lot of people and be able to uh, just to witness to them of all that God has done uh, throughout my life personally and what he's done in my marriage and in my family and all that God has kept us from and helped us through. Uh, throughout all that, I've realized more than anything else that he is a good father. And this is what I've always tried to convey uh, to people that I witness to, people that I uh, am able to just share my testimony with, that we serve a good God. Uh, God is a God of mercy. Uh, he's a God of love and compassion. But He's also a good judge. And good judge, a good judge makes good judgments. And so uh, this the title of our sermon is called He's a Good Father. There's an attorney, uh, after meditating on the Word of God, decided to cancel the debts of all of his clients that had owed him money for more than six months. He began to draft a letter uh, explaining his decision and its biblical basis. He sent out 17 debt canceling letters via certified mail. One by one, the letters were returned by the postal service unsigned and undelivered. Perhaps a couple people had moved away, though not likely. 16 of the 17 letters came back to him because the clients refused to sign for and open the envelopes, fearing that this attorney was suing them for their debts. How profound that we owe a debt for our sin, and yet God is willing to cancel it, but too many people will not even open the letter that explains how. See, people are so consumed by their sin and by their view of God, of being a judgmental God as opposed to being a merciful God. They've never opened their Bibles to see how merciful God really is. Beloved, there are people that are so overwhelmed with their self-inflicted sin that forgiveness is a confusing element in their lives. They find it impossible to understand the extreme merciful hand of God that forgives all sin. See, beloved, when you decide to turn from sin, walk toward righteousness, and you make a decision to repent of it, God truly does forgive. Hope is now in plain view. See, the truth is, without forgiveness, there is no hope. Without forgiveness, there's no redemption, there's no joy. Thus, you see no future. You need to know that we serve a forgiving God. Psalms chapter 86, verses 1 through 5. If you have your Bibles, please read along with me. Scripture reads, Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God, Savior, servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant for you. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy in all those who call upon you. 
And so, beloved, in order for you to begin to fully understand the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, you are going to need to open the letters he left for you in this precious word. There are many people that have missed the enjoyment of salvation, the relief of forgiveness because they have not opened this wonderful book that we call the Holy Bible that is full of truth and hope, life and redemption. So my first point this morning, I want to call it the heart cries for mercy. Have you ever cried for mercy before? Have you ever been so overwhelmed with your situation? All you can do is ask for help and start crying. Asking for answers and ask God, is, oh God, are you even listening? I've been there before and I'm pretty sure many others have been there with me. In our opening text, David uh, is crying, King David is crying out to God for help in time of need. Right? David used expressive language to speak of his need, right? God in heaven to bow your ear, bow your head on earth to hear my plea. This is David's cry. He said, God, hear me. Here's David crying out to God in heaven asking with a desperation for him to be heard. He said, Lord, hear me for I'm poor and needy. David gives his first of several reasons why God should answer. David here is appealing to God's sympathy. He's appealing to God's compassion. And the reason he's doing that because he understands that God is a loving God because a hard-hearted God would not even look upon a poor individual. In fact, a, a God that is hard, hard-hearted, uh, he'll look upon those that are poor as despised. Yet David knew that God was full of love and compassion uh, and would be moved by the fact that David was and knew himself to be poor and needy. See, it is significant that David began his plea with this. His understanding of the love and compassion of God was foundational. This is where we get our salvation, understand that God loved us first. There are many people that question God's love for them, but rest assured, God is a loving Father and proved it when He gave us His only begotten Son, Jesus. David based his whole life, his hope, uh, on the basis of the love of God uh, and the joy of knowing that God is forgiving. Uh, he is redemptive. God hears the cry of His children. He's a good Father. And He takes the light uh, of helping His children and protecting uh, them and blessing them in that protection. See, David cries out, I need you to preserve my life. David's problem was desperate. He felt that without God's help, he could perish. Considering we know the story we had, he had many enemies. He had King Saul looking after him. He had assassins trying to kill him. He had the Philistines that hated him. So he had all his corners, uh, amen, coming after him. That's oppression. How many people have felt in times you felt the world was against you, right? Family members, friends. Uh, you felt like everybody was coming against you. They were oppressing you. And here's David. He has all these people that once loved him or once looked up. Now they're coming to kill him. He had a lot of problems. And I want you to look with me for a moment. That there are many people that have problems that make them desperate. And sometimes those desperations are because there are people that want to harm them. 
There are situations that are way out of their control that the only one that has the power to change the course of these issues is God. And let me quickly remind you that your issues or your situation are never an issue for God. Amen. They're never an issue for God. See, beyond this, we weren't told the nature of David's need. He's crying out to God. We don't know the full story. What we do know is that David is desperate for God to hear his cry. This is good for us to understand because it allows us to see our need through David's need. It allows us to know that we can approach God on the same basis for whatever our need is. And those needs may seem minuscule to you. Or they may seem too big for you. But nothing is too small or too, or too big for God. If the issue is important to you, the issue is going to be important to God. Amen. And the reason I say that is because a good father sees the reality of their children. And says, your issue, I'm going to make my issue. Your problem, I'm going to make my problem. I'm going to help you. I'm going to take care of that. And so secondly, I want to speak about God the good father. So he cries out for help. And he does that because he understands that God is a gracious God. Many people see God today as a God as merciless, right? A God that just brings judgment. He has a mallet. You're guilty. It doesn't matter, right? And people have this thought because in their minds they say, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? The problem is, is that the Bible says there's no one good, not one. And yes, problems do happen to people that are trying to do good. And yes, problems and things happen to little children. We don't understand the whole concept. But that doesn't mean God isn't God. The only one that is good is God. Yet because of this misunderstanding of God, amen, as being bad or harmful, people's view of God seem that way as well. See, but God is a good father, and a good father loves his children and loves them endlessly. A good father forgives them for their mistakes and helps them through. And I'm telling you this this morning, that God is a good God. A good father forgives the, 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 the child of iniquity, amen, and will help them come back and make things right. See, David understood this. We see the life of David, right? He made many mistakes. He slept with a married woman. He had her husband killed. He had all these other things happen in his life. And yet here's David crying out to God saying, God, I need your help. Could you forgive me? And knowing that he is good and ready to forgive. There are far too many people who should know better. But they doubt both the goodness of God and his readiness to forgive. People say, listen, my sin is too big. Listen, your sin is not bigger than God. Let me tell you something you probably never heard before. But you're never so far in that God can't get you out. He loves his children. See, we are blinded by sin and cannot believe that God is ready to forgive, right? We have these thoughts in our minds. And listen, if I go to church, the church is going to burn. We think that we must induce him to forgive by tears, promises of amendment, religious observances. No, we think that we got to do all of these things for God to forgive us. God already did that when He gave us Jesus. All we have to do is repent. And understand that God is ready to forgive. He's ready to offer you salvation. 
Many wait to repent and ask for forgiveness because they think that time is going to make God more forgiving. No, God is ready now. He's ready to forgive you now. Doesn't matter if you've fallen a hundred times and are, and are ashamed to come to God again. Listen, God is ready to forgive you now. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, the Bible says this. It says that one of the criminals who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked them, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done absolutely nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, think, think about this. He said, today, with me, today you will be with me in paradise. I studied this. It was pretty profound. See, this was no surprise to Jesus to hear this man ask for forgiveness. Here's a criminal. In the same position as Jesus, right? They're both condemned. Crucified for a crime he knows he committed. This is the only time in Scripture that someone has stared at God in the face during their judgment. You never see judgment and then them, another person looking at God in the face. Here's a man that's dying, looking at God in the face, asking for forgiveness and found hope through words of promise and forgiveness. Both in the book of Matthew and Mark, they indicate that both criminals mock Jesus. Something happened to this man while he was staring God in the face. Though at first they both mocked Jesus, and the hours spent on that rugged cross, one of the criminals came to see things a little bit differently and actually began to put his trust in Jesus. That's kind of profound. The second criminal respected God. He said, do, not, do you not even fear God? He knew his own sin. He said, listen, we're under the same condemnation. We indeed justly, for we received the reward of our deeds. This second criminal, he knew Jesus. He said, this man has done nothing wrong. That means somehow, some way, he knew about Jesus. He called out to Jesus. He said, Jesus. He called out him and said, Lord. He was a criminal. He called out on God. He believed Jesus was who he said he was. He said, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. He believed the promise of everlasting life. That was pretty profound. But he received more than what he asked for. He said, surely, Jesus said, surely, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, Jesus answered the trust of the second criminal, assuring him that his life after death will be with Jesus and be in paradise, not torment. Think of me for a second. Here's something truly remarkable. Here we see what we call a deathbed conversion. And this may fairly be said that uh, uh, to be the only biblical example of a last minute salvation, there is no deathbed conversion in the Bible other than this time right now. So that no one would despair, but, on, but only one, so that one would, uh, uh, would be promised. Significantly, this thief who trusted in Jesus at the last moment goes to the same heaven everyone else goes to. Some people say, that's not fair. They say, you know what? He's done wrong all his life and now he comes to Jesus. That's not fair. 
This is where God's grace comes in that people don't understand. People need to see the larger picture. This situation gives God glory, not man. This situation here gives God glory. This gives Him merit, not human beings merit. See, this, 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 thief, this thief only asks for the kingdom. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you paradise. This assured this man that he was going to be in peace with Christ. See, Jesus answered the second criminal far beyond the expectation. The thief on the cross had some distant time in mind. Jesus told him today. Think about it. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That means somewhere along the line, you know, you're going to remember me, Jesus. No, Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He didn't make a wait. The thief on the cross only uh, to be remembered. Jesus said, you will be with me. I'm just not going to remember you. You're going to be with me. The thief on the cross looked only for a kingdom, and Jesus promised them a paradise. My question this morning to you is this. Here we have a loving, merciful God who's ready to forgive. What's keeping you from grabbing onto this forgiveness? Today. Amen. Lastly, I want to... My, my, my third point is, come home, my child, I'm waiting. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24, the Bible says this, Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the young of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be home once. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent them into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to share? And I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He rose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for this day my son was dead and is alive again. For he was lost and is now found and they began to be merry. See we should fully understand that prodigal living is just enjoyment for a season. Then reality sets in. And when we see our state we will quickly realize that this is not my life. It's not how I want to live. And so uh, was the situation of this prodigal who came to himself and the Bible had wrote, yet he thought his situation had determined or rather lessened the, the love of his father against him. No, that wasn't, the, that wasn't the truth here. Beloved, many believe God doesn't love them because of their sinful lives. Yet, on the contrary, God does love you. He's, just, he's the sin that you're involved in. He does love you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't give us Jesus. He just doesn't love, he, he hates the sin you're involved in. See, the son left the area to become independent of the father and live the prodigal 
reckless, foolish, extravagant life. No doubt it was fun and it lasted just for a season. When he spent it all, there arose a severe famine. Now, he didn't cause this famine, but he didn't have anything to sustain him through the famine. The son was completely to blame for his wasteful, foolish living and spending. He was not to blame for the famine, but now he's afflicted because he has nothing to back him up. He began to be in want, the Bible says. He sent him uh, into the fields to to feed swine. Think about this. This young boy was raised in a Jewish family. Swine was untouchable to them. And yet he was at his lowest point in his life. Then he said, listen, I'm going to eat with the pigs eat because I don't want to die. Because no one gave him anything. The misery of the prodigal son moves our sympathy, right? We began to feel sorry. Yet his misery drove, drove him to a good resolution. He said, listen, I remember where I came from. I don't have to live like this. The lost son's decision to return to his father. See, in his mercy, the prodigal son was finally able to think clearly. In his misery, he was able to think of all the good things that he had. Before it might be said that he wasn't really himself and thought as another man, then he came to himself. Listen, in his rebellion, in his rebellion and disobedience, he wasn't himself. In his years of riot, he was not himself. It was not the prodigal who was the real man, but the real man said, I'm going to seek forgiveness. I'm going to repent. The real man was not the prodigal. The real man was the man that repented of his sin. See, in his clear thinking, he didn't think of how to improve conditions in a pig pen. See, people like to make their bad situation good. Listen, he wasn't trying to live in the pig pen. He didn't blame his father. He didn't blame his brother, his friends, his boss, or the pigs. He recognized his misery without focusing on it and instead focused on his father. He didn't focus on the nice house. He didn't focus on the things his father had. He remembered, I can go back to my father and be well. He said, I'm going to rise and go to my father. See, Jesus didn't say that the man thought of his village. He thought of his father. When the son returned to the father, he also came back to the village and to the house. But he first had to go to the father. But his focus was returning home to the one that he knew was going to navigate and guide his life. See, that is how we need to come back to God. As a father. As a good father. To come back to him first and foremost. Before coming back to church or coming back to Christian friends and home, we come back to God first. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of like your highest servants. He said, no. He said, you are my son in the beginning. You're going to be my son to the end. See, the ordinary slave, uh, in some sense, was a member of the family, but the highest servant could be cast off at any moment. He said, no, no, no. I'm not doing that to you. The lost son demonstrated the repentance Jesus specifically spoke of in the in the, in the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep. See, after his misery, he thought completely differently about his father himself and his home. The son asked for two things. He said, Father, give me, and then Father, make me. See, only the second request brought joy. The father joyfully receives the lost son. See, the death of the son's repentance is matched only by the death of the father's love. 
And so when we come to God in full repentance, we understand that God will match that repentance with His full love. It won't be half. It won't be uh, some things. No, you coming back into my presence fully. The Bible also says that the father ran and fell on the son's neck and kissed him. See, the intensity of the father's reception was indicated by the fact that he ran. This is unusual for old man. In that time, in that culture, old man wouldn't run, he'd walk. But he ran to his son. The Bible says he repeatedly kissed him. Beloved, Jesus is at the window waiting for you to make a decision to come home to him first. He is ready and able to forgive and accept you into his forgiveness if you want to make your sin known and repent. He's a loving father, forgiving the sins of those who repent of them. I thought about this, how good of a father he really is. In the book of Exodus 34.7, it says, Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgressions and transgressions as sin. See, beloved, God is a forgiving God. And wants you to know that this morning. The question is, will you come to yourself, receive this free gift of salvation, turn from your sin and repent and come into God's grace? He's willing and able and ready at all times to extend forgiveness to you. Because he's a good father. Amen. That's all I have for you this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. In respect to your neighbor, we serve a good God this morning.